You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. They're going to feel more like you're listening to a history lesson of sorts. Uh, I'll do my best to make this applicable to your life, though. So hang tight with me, okay? We're going to stretch our brains a little bit. And it may not be that hard to stretch you, because I want you to imagine for a moment that there was a country that at one point was united and over time kind of became split right down the middle. It's hard to imagine, I know. Unless, of course, you've been hitting refresh on the election page for the last seven days, (laughs) waiting to see what happens. Uh, This is not just an American thing where you've got like this like three to five percent difference between how people feel. This is ancient. It happened before. It happened, in fact, to Israel. So we're going to put a map up on the screen. If it's still working, don't tune out. I know how you feel about maps, because I feel the same way. All right. Israel at one point was kind of like a united group, okay? They had kind of their own, if you would, states. Every tribe of Israel, about 12 to 14-ish of them, because a few people were kind of grandfathered in, would get their own state within the kingdom. But then one day, some politics happened, And it split the country so hard that essentially they broke into two kingdoms. There was the southern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Judah. Uh, That was the kingdom that David was a part of. So it had kind of like this higher calling on it in general because Jerusalem was there. The capital was there. That was where God's presence was to be known, was in that temple that Solomon built. So like there was a special sacredness in the area that happened to break into the kingdom of Judah. And then there was the northern, which uh, you would call the kingdom of Israel, but Isaiah today is going to call it the kingdom of Ephraim. Okay, so Ephraim was one of the 12 tribes. So Judah gets kind of, everything gets lumped south under Judah, one of the guys in the tribe. Everything north was lumped under Ephraim in this passage in Isaiah. Now, when you're experiencing difficulty like this, you're going to have things like civil wars. You're going to have people kind of turning on each other. You're going to have a lot of difficulty between politics, between these nations, especially because though the kings once tried to follow God and they didn't always do a great job of it. And honestly, there were only a handful of good kings. If you've ever read the historical books of the Bible, it's like, and then there was a new king, and he done messed up. And then another one, oh, he was the worst. And then there was another, oh, well, he was okay a little bit. And then the next, you know, it's just like king after king really messed things up. And after a long time and all this problem, there came about a new superpower. At one point, Israel kind of was that superpower. People flocked from all over the world to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon, to check out the glorious temple and and how it was built out of the biggest trees, the redwoods of their area, and to, to marvel at all the money and all the power and wealth that Israel had. But after time had gone on, like all superpowers, Israel became corrupt and started to fade and wasn't following God anymore. 
Not, not in full in the way that they used to, to say the least. And a new superpower rose in the area. Up north here, unfortunately I couldn't find a map where we could zoom out enough to really get a good glimpse. But you see at the top where it says Assyrian Empire? That's eventually going to become Babylon, then Greece, and then the Roman Empire. So the Assyrian Empire is this new superpower that's raising up at the time. And as you can see, Israel's not, like, huge. (laughs) And so when you're hearing about the the people with the higher weapons and and the nukes and the, the bigger group that's up north, you get nervous. And you wonder, as a king, what am I going to do to protect my people? Are they going to challenge us? Should we make some kind of alignment with them, allegiance? I, I, what, 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 is, what is the case? What should we do? And that's what they're facing right now. The Assyrian Empire is coming up, and they're both nervous. So here's what happens. The blue right there, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, or Ephraim, if you will, Ephraim decides, their king decides, we need some new friends. (laughs) Because if the Assyrian Empire ever comes here, we're doomed. So let's make some arrangements with some of these other countries around. And they turn to what's right next to them, which is the kingdom of Aram. You see that right next to it? Kind of the big ones, not colored in. It says kingdom of Aram slash Damascus. That's where they go. They're like, let's, Ephraim says, let's make friends with them. And so they make friends. And as they get to know each other and make arrangements with each other, they get nervous of Judah, the southern kingdom, where Jerusalem is, where God's presence is. Because they think to themselves, well, they're still pretty powerful. What if the Assyrian Empire tries to take over them and they turn against us? Then we'll be in trouble still. And so here's what Ephraim decides to do. Ephraim and Aram decide, let's take over Judah. We'll send our own military in. We'll conquer them. And after we've done that, we'll put our own puppet king in Judah. We'll put all the words in his mouth. He'll, he'll do everything we say. And we'll create kind of a new state. It'll come under our alliance. So you see like politics going on in their mind at the time. So Aram and Ephraim attack Judah. And they make some headway. They actually are able to do some damage, the Bible tells us, but not fully take over it. So Judah is freaking out a little bit. You know, the king's like, wow, we've been attacked. We've been hurt. What do we do? What, what, what are we supposed to do? And if you're a king, you're strategizing. You're bringing in your chief strat- strategist, your officers, your military. You're trying to decide how are we going to protect ourselves? What are we going to do to make sure that we're not taken over? Clearly, at some point... The king of Judah has come up with some ideas as to what they're going to do. Enter the prophet Isaiah. Okay, so that was all your backdrop. Did you all tune out for all that? (laughs) Enter Isaiah. Isaiah comes in and he says, yo, king of Judah, got a word for you. Um, The first one is my son. My son's name essentially means Uh, that there will remain a remnant in Israel. So that's a good word to you. Just as my son is here with me as a remnant, Israel, though you're going to go through some hard times, you'll have a remnant too. So cheers, you know, like (laughs) there's one word for you. But the the second word is this. I just want to let you know. And actually we'll open it. We'll read this part. So Isaiah goes to meet 
the king of, of, uh, of Judah, in the place where, uh, where all the water for Judah is. Because obviously, if you want to take over a country, you just like, you cut off the water supply until they're desperate and they, they give in to you. So King Judah is like there with his military trying to protect their water source. All right. And here's what Isaiah says. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart faint because of those two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria, the son of Ramaliah. In other words, Ephraim and, and Aram have attacked you. God says, do nothing. <laughs> How's that for a word, right? You're being attacked, and God comes around and says, don't do anything. Chill out. Say, say what now? Just nothing, you know? Uh, and then he goes on. Uh, Isaiah 7, picking up in verse 5. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil and king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, and here's where he gives the next word, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are firm in faith, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. <laughs> all right, so just to be clear, we're given a military word. <laughs> Yo, you're being attacked. God says, do nothing. Chill out. I know Ephraim looks scary, but in 65 years, there'll be nothing. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that'd be a hard word to take in, right? Uh, 65 years, God? (laughs) Uh, This is happening right now. What what do you mean, do nothing? Like, I'm just supposed to... Yeah, yeah, God says you need to stand firm in faith right now. And if you don't have faith right now... You will not be firm at all. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Sometimes it is uh, inappropriate to ask God for a sign. Like, if we if we really just like we know, eh, I, I can't really think of a good scenario right this moment. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted to test him. They wanted to see something cool. So that's a great example. They they try to keep asking Jesus for signs, which is hilarious because he's already given them so many. Like, what do you mean you need another sign? I just fed five thousand people. What do you need from me? Right? I raised the dead. So, so that's a good example. There are times where it's inappropriate to ask for a sign. But the king of Judah in this moment has just been told, don't worry, 65 years from now, things are going to be okay. Have faith, stand firm. If you don't have faith, everything's going to fall apart. Here's what God then goes on to say in verse 10. 
Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So he's saying, look, you want a mega sign. Mega signs have happened before. Gideon wanted impossible signs to prove that God was going to be faithful in what he said. And God granted him impossible signs, not just once, but twice. There's other crazy things that have happened in the Bible. There was one war where somebody said, I think it was Joshua, right? Like, God stopped the sun in the sky. <laughs> We're scientific-minded people. You know what that means, right? It's like, oh, i got to stop the earth from rotating. Hope you all don't fly off of it in the meantime, right? And yet God does it right there. Yeah, sure, stop the sun in the sky. Like, we're talking mega sign. Ahaz, King Ahaz of Judah, I'm giving you a big word. (laughs) Be faithful. Ephraim will be done away with in 65 years. Right now, do nothing. Now, to prove that I will be faithful to you and prove that this is going to be okay, ask for whatever you want. This is is the King of Judah's genie moment. (laughs) I am the great and powerful Yahweh. Tell me what you would like me to do. Right? And he answers, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Trying to sound all religious. Yeah, actually, no, it it would be good for me not to ask God. That's not what he's doing right there. See, remember, the king already has plans. He's already worked with strategies. He already knows what he wants to do. He's not looking for a word about 65 years later. He's not looking for someone to say what you need to do right now. And right now, the prophet Isaiah comes up and gives a word and says, you need to have faith, do nothing. And the last thing that this king, who is remembered unfondly throughout all the scriptures, (laughs) the last thing that this king wants is a sign that Isaiah is right. Because if he's right, then all the more he has to follow his conscience that God God truly meant what he said. And he'd have to do nothing. And so he plays it off as a religious thing. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I don't need a sign. Not looking for a sign. It's cool. No, it's as low as shield. As low as the underworld of the dead or as high as the heaven where the stars are. Ask for a mega sign. I'll give it to you. No, God, that's okay. And so he handles it his way. And his way (laughs) was to go to the Assyrian Empire and ask them to align with him and go to war with these other two nations. So the very thing that Ephraim and Aram were afraid of is put into play when they challenged the king of Judah who's not willing to follow God, but instead rest in the strength of the Assyrian Empire, which will be his downfall. Because here's what happens. God's like, okay, all right, you know what? (laughs) You've You've already wearied man enough with your disobedience. Now you're going to weary God too? And here's what God goes on to say. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Ready for this? Here's the mega sign, the crazy, unbelievable thing that God's going to do, and it's going to sound familiar. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. It's the Christmas story. God's mega sign is someone who should not be pregnant will suddenly just miraculously become pregnant. And out of that, something good will rise. Emmanuel, which means God with us. But is this going to come in a good kind of way? Not exactly. Because it goes on to say, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the the day that they split in half. The king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt. So now Egypt's going to enter into war. And the bee that is in the land of Assyria. So now the Assyrian empire is going to enter into war against Israel. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of your rock and on all the thorn bushes and all the pastures. In other words, everyone's going to take Israel's land from them. This is the exile that's ahead of them. And that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet. I don't know why you would shave someone's feet. Um, Just so you know, in the Old Testament, when we say feet, what we really mean is, okay, it's a euphemism in the Old Testament, just as feet is often your genitals. So, it's like, so your head's going to be shaved, your genitals are going to be shaved, your beard's going to be shaved. You will just be shaved naked. Like, this is kind of the doom and humiliation that is ahead of you because you will not have faith like I just told you to have faith. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. Not a good thing. It's like, oh, we can't find any food. All we got is the, the milk that's turned into little cheesy rocks. That's all we can eat. We're going to be constipated for years, right? In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. So even the Eden that they had in Israel becomes cursed like briars and thorns came in Eden after they ate from the tree. With bow and arrows, a man will come there for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as of all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for the fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. (laughs) All because one guy did not have faith To trust in God in an unbelievable moment. How many times have we ourselves been in that state? Maybe you've had it before. Have you ever felt like there's something God has called you to do? And it burns super heavy on your heart and you know you're supposed to do it. But you say, that's uncomfortable. I don't don't really want to do that. I know one guy who... uh, He went to go get a haircut and he was just learning about spiritual gifts around this time. And as he's sitting in his barber's chair, he just feels like the Holy Spirit say, and he's still learning about this. He feels like the Holy Spirit say, you need to pray for this guy's heart. 
And he's like, I'm not in a barber shop with all these other people around. I'm not praying for this guy's heart. I come back to this barber all the time. All the time. I don't want this to be awkward. And then he's driving there. He's like, okay, God, fine, fine. I'll make a deal with you. Here's his like sign. It's not like a mega sign, but it's a sign. I'll make a deal with you. If there's nobody there, I'll pray for his heart. There's always people there. There's no way it's going to happen. It's, it's always packed. He pulls up. He goes inside. Nobody's there. <laughs> and so he's sweating the whole time he's cutting his hair because he knows the moment's gone. i gotta got to pray for his heart. I'm going to look like a crazy person. Oh, well, I do, you know. He gets to the end of the haircut and he pays him and leaves. <laughs> he felt like he knew what he was supposed to do. He felt like the sign as to, to do it had happened. And then he left. And then the guy had a heart attack within the next week. And fortunately they brought him back and he wrote a letter to say, man, I just felt like I was supposed to tell you this, but do you think the letter really hit? Prophetic words like that don't mean a whole lot after it's already happened because it's not foreshadowing anything. It's just like, man, anyone could write this, you know? He knew that moment. We have that moment a lot of times where we're in a service and conviction comes on us to do something. We're like, I really don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that. And I think there's times where maybe you've had this experience where it's like, look, God, if, if you do this thing to prove to me that you're truly saying this, because I don't want to just like have bad discernment. Maybe this isn't your voice. If you truly prove to me that I should do this, then I'll do it. And there's moments where we're afraid to pray that prayer. Those moments where it's not inappropriate to say, God, prove to me that you want me to do this. There's moments where we're like, I'm not willing to go that distance because if God proves to me I'm supposed to do this, then I really have to do it. And yet this exile, this horrible thing that happened to Israel happened for numerous reasons. But one of the reasons was that they didn't have faith to trust in God when they were supposed to trust in God. Rather than rely on God and his power, they looked around, where's the next greatest nation I can ally with? The Assyrian Empire. Let's join them. They join Assyria. Assyria helps them. And then Assyria envelops them. And then Assyria becomes Babylon, and Babylon becomes Greece, and Greece becomes Rome. And still here they are, exiled after all this time. And then in the midst of all of it, God's sign rises up. <laughs> you had to wait a lot longer than you thought. But since you didn't choose a sign, I chose one. In the midst of exile, when you're still eating moldy cheese, moldy milk, when you're still just trying to get by, when you're still in exile, when you're still humiliated, when life is horrible, in the midst of that, my sign will come, a virgin shall conceive, and her son will be named Emmanuel, and you will know that God is with you. And out of that sign comes the reason we're here today, in this church building. It's Christianity, it's Jesus. Jesus rises up, he is that son. He is the promised sign. He changes the world. He redeems the world. He conquers Satan. And then he pulls us out of exile to follow him and to live for his kingdom. 
and to install his kingdom on the earth. Heaven isn't a place we go when we die. I mean, it is that, but it's more than that. Heaven is in front of us right now, almost like looking for a good analogy. It's like uh, quantum physics, I guess. Like if you could just reach into the next, <laughs> into the next uh, dimension. dimension, if you will. Yeah, heaven's like reaching into that next dimension, pulling heaven in. I make it sound a lot weirder than it is, but <laughs> it's like that veil right beyond us. And when we, when we do things where we love people, where we take care of one another, where a naked person is clothed, a hungry person is given food, a thirsty person is given drink, a stranger is brought in, an enemy is loved, someone who left the church comes back. When we do those moments, heaven breaks through that veil breaks through that dimension and begins to overthrow Satan and his own throne and his own kingdom. And all that comes because of a sign that a virgin would conceive a son, God would be with us, and then we would be with him for eternity. So we're going to sing a song as we wrap up. One about faith, and I would encourage you Whatever's been on your heart of something that you're supposed to do, that you've been afraid to do, or you didn't know if you should do, or you want more discernment to do it, or maybe even want to pray like, God, would you give me, give me a sign to, to prove it? And ask if that's appropriate. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes it is because he's trying to help you know, yes, walk in faith, I will be there. Take a moment to do that as we sing and we ask God to increase our faith.